Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? I was taking off a broken screen yesterday, and uh, as I'm taking it off, I see it start to splinter, and I'm like, hey, that's going to be bad, and then boop, right in the eye. Nick works at that kiosk at the mall with the other Israeli guys (laughs) who fix your phone. I'm also Israeli. Oh, gosh. I'm not Israeli. You're sort of Jewish. I'm an Israeli Jew. Oh, Jew-o. What? Huh? I thought we were just adding... Uh, fucking vowels. All right. Oh, lordy. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's jump right into it. Should we'll, we start? Should we start the podcast here? Well, I guess we started the podcast. Already. No, we're going to start it now. It's really up to me. <laughs> Welcome to episode 13. It's been a long time. A lot of things have happened. That's why it took so long. We had holidays. We had surgeries. We had Rob. And those things hey. combined just make it a difficult hey. time. Don't, don't you pull, <laughs> don't you lay that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Uh, so welcome back, guys. Episode 13. Glad you could join us. We're actually going to record this same day. It's going to go live uh, just because we got the fucking time. Yeah, we want to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fuck you. This is our podcast. We can do whatever we want with it. going to go ahead and silence my phone, as I did not do before. Uh, <laughs> mine is, but I'm actually going to put it on Do Not Disturb mode just so I don't get any vibrations yeah. on the table. Leave us alone, Nick's mom. Or, yeah. Or Rob's know. mom. I don't know who calls you. Maybe Rob's brother. Maybe. Maybe Rob's dog. It's also possible. I have spoken to Charlie on the phone. <laughs> He's adorable. He is. All right, so this episode is brought to you by me, um, <laughs> as the last two were Rob Picks. Uh, this is a Nick Pick. Also, we don't have any sponsors. <laughs> you know what? Uh, sponsored by Eastside Mags. Go buy your comics at Eastside Mags. There you go. Go to Eastside Mags, Montclair, New Jersey. Best comic book shop in the area. Best comic book shop of all time. Best comic books in the world. Jeff, you owe me $25. <laughs> that is now our slogan. <laughs> that is now Eastside Mag's slogan. Best Jeff owes you $25. <laughs> no, best comic books in Northern Jersey, best comic books in the world, best comics around. <laughs> this is very lazy, but, you yeah. know, it works. What are we, writers? Come on. It's not even a first draft. That's just like a, it's like <laughs> it's a sticky just, note with like, here's, like what, I was writing it here's in my what journal. we want to convey. Yeah. And then like, all right, that's yeah, fine. I was like, here, I put down some bullets. So this is what we wanted to like say. Like, we want this to be said. Okay, we'll just say that. We've demonstrated several times on this show that we would both be fantastic ad men and should never be allowed near a marketing firm simultaneously. Yeah, I like old fashions a lot. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm I'm glad you started watching Mad Men. <laughs> but I've liked old fashions for longer than that. I uh, probably not. I mean, um, you're probably right. The show the show came out when you were not legal. Uh, the, hey man, I'm legal. I've lived in this country my whole life. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to do a movie. We're going to do a movie for you. It's going to be terrible. You like movies. Do you like movies? I'm going to find your movie. I'm going to I'm going to make it. Oh boy. I <laughs> fucked up. I fucked up really bad. Jerk. <laughs> All right, so today's episode is about... Heroin. <laughs> did you say something about Arwen? Heroin. Oh, heroin, okay. Because he died. It's true, he did. He did die. That's a, a great talent that will be missed. It sure will. We should do an episode one day where we cast uh, people who no longer are living. Like, yes. just in, like an all-star cast. 
Yeah. yeah. Just like, I think, time I think we matter. did that once. Like, we, we just kind of like, eh, fuck it. I mean, we haven't done it on this podcast yet. Mm, I think we discussed it. We might have talked about it, yeah. but we never, we've never cast or di- chosen a director. Or like messaged about it. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was not a live. Um, so today's episode... Oops. Jesus. My mic moved. Uh, I'll move it back. Bear with us. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I just felt like it was too tall, too high. Well, I, had to... I will handle it. Okay, well then handle it. There. Fucking handle it. Don't touch it, it anymore. I want to just move it. Don't touch <laughs> it anymore. You're not my doctor. I have a degree in this. <laughs> Still doesn't sound good, but I have a degree. <laughs> All right, fuck it. All so right, Nick, uh, you you proposed uh, you proposed two different things to me, but uh, wisely chose one of them as our our uh, season premiere for next season of yes, the show. Yes, that's true. Um, although the one you sent uh, was a really really cool article, so uh, let's just let's just jump into it. Okay, so this episode we are talking about Haley's comet, but not just Haley's comet, and not just the fact that it comes around every seventy six or so years. We're talking about Haley's comet as it appeared above the sky in 1910. Mm-hmm. The reason we're talking about that is because on May 6, 1910, when Haley's Comet came around the second to last time, um, there was widespread panic yeah. about what that actually was and what it was going to do. And a lot of people figured, it's the fucking end of the world. We're <laughs> all going to die. This is it. This we is just how figured we out dinosaurs. Yep. We're all going to die. So May 6, 1910 uh, was the day that Haley's Comet uh, flew over the sky uh, the last time before the last time. Because when was the last time? It was 1996. Uh, 86? Yeah, there's a strong possibility we will never see it. Nin- uh, 2061 is when it's supposed to come back, they mm-hmm. said. But, I mean, we could live that. We'll be, like, in our I'll 70s. Be, I'll be 71. Yeah, there's a... I mean... Hey, who knows? People... We could die tomorrow. People fucking die, yeah. man. People die a lot. Oh, it's just massive heart attacks. Quick, quick pause. Um, R.I.P. Terry Jones. Yes, that uh, that news broke yesterday. That was a, that was a big one for us, unfortunately, and did uh, inform uh, in large part the way I'm going to approach this. Actually, good. But, yeah, let's awesome. uh, let's, let's let's talk more about Haley's comet. Okay, <laughs> but Terry Jones. Okay, so we'll uh, there, we'll there was there. a lot of superstition surrounding the comet as it approached. Uh, one of the main ones is that King Edward the I don't know Roman numerals uh, the seventh V one one. That's seven, right? That's seven, yes. <laughs> King Edward VII uh, was murdered. Not murdered, I'm sorry. He died the same day. Yep. And people compared Haley's Comet coming back to the reason he died. Um, a lot of people thought, the Brits uh, mainly thought that it was an omen of a coming invasion by Germany. The French believed that it was... I mean, they weren't super wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a coming invasion. <laughs> like, World War One started did, in 14. 14, yeah. Did, did Haley's Comet have to do with that? Maybe not. But Maybe somebody got irradiated and murdered the <laughs> Archduke of, uh, of uh, uh, what's his name, Ferdinand. Yeah. Uh, the French believed it was responsible for the flooding of the Seine, which I believe is a river. Uh, the, the Seine, yeah. Seine, sorry. Mm-hmm. I am not, I'm not France. Um, it was named for astronomer Edmund Haley, who was alive back in the 16 to 1700s, uh, who prophesied, well, not really prophesied, he theorized, he did, he, did the, he did the math, that it would be uh, around every 76 or so years, which, if you think about it, that's fascinating to think about that that was done in, like, the 1600s, and he's like, yeah, no, that thing up there, that's going to come back later. <laughs> well, you know, think about when we first observed Pluto, from the first day that we observed Pluto to now, it has not orbited the sun once. Wow. Re- oh, yeah, I do remember it's that, that fact. It's that far away. When, the, the when, when did we observe massive. it? I think the first 1600s? evidence of Pluto... Um, I mean, we confirmed it in the 1900s, but I think the first, like, maybe something's there was, like, the 1800s. Hmm. 
That's fascinating to think, like, if that was a year in Earth time, how would we diagnose age? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> okay, so uh, as we continue, uh, there were a lot of worried writers... Not, I'm sorry, not writers. People who wrote in to uh, Royal Observatory, which is a newspaper... Um, and they warned, I got a quote here, quote, the comet would cause the Pacific to change basins with the Atlantic and the primeval forests of North and South America to be swept up by the briny avalanche over the sandy plains of the Great Sahara, tumbling over and over with houses, ships, sharks, whales, and all sorts of living things in one heterogeneous mass of chaotic confusion. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds like such a wildly insane theory that, oh, this comic, comet is going to make the oceans yeah. switch. But keep in mind, you know, we had just begun to really understand the fact that the moon is the reason we have tides. Yep. So, like, if the moon is making the ocean move back and forth like this, and something maybe this thing this will close. violently pull yeah. the water with it. Of course, it did not nearly have enough mass yeah, to do yeah. that or <laughs> even get close enough. Uh, a couple months earlier, the New York Times announced that one astronomer theorized the comet would unceremoniously end life as we know it. That astronomer was Frenchman uh, Camille, I'm going to pronounce it Flammarion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's probably the closest we'll get. Uh, he reckoned, quote, as we pass through the comet's tail, cyanogen gas would impregnate the atmosphere and possibly snuff out all life on the planet. Oh, yeah. Now, on top of that, there were a lot of astronomers who thought that that was utter bullshit. (laughs) Um, And they were proven correct. I want to know what Einstein thought about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's (laughs) nothing on him in this article. Again, obviously, article will be linked in the description of this episode. Um, One of the best things to come out of this, though, was the New York Times response with a short piece after... One skeptic named Percival Lowell noted that the gas was so rarefied as to be thinner than in any vacuum and therefore posed no threat. Thinner than a vacuum? Yeah. Wow. Um, Also stepping in was Robert Ball, director of Cambridge Observatory, who noted that another famed astronomer, John Herschel, reckoned, uh, quote, the whole comet could be squeezed into a portmanteau, which I don't know how to pronounce that word. It's not wrong. Okay, good. Uh, in a hilarious response to the question of whether a comet should be shoved into a suitcase, <laughs> which they did not know at that point was the comet was actually nine miles long, the New York Times hit back with this short piece that began with a vocabulary lesson, and this response is fantastically hilarious. Uh, it's a little bit longer, so bear with me. The failing New York Times. <laughs> in they're lying to you about a comet. They're lying. <laughs> they're lying. Nobody knows more, but many I've people seen, are saying. I am the best comet man in the world. Yeah. I know all the comments. I've met all the comments. Do you, do you mean uh, astrophysicists? <laughs> Get him out of here! Get him out of here! <laughs> I just love the idea of being like, I've met all the comments. They show a picture of him with a comment. He's like, I've never met that comet. Get out of here, Fred Trump. <laughs> so uh, here's the, uh, the story written uh, in the New York Times. The rising generation hereabout may need to be told that portmanteau is a word of French origin used in English to describe the useful article called in vulgar American circles a grip, and among the truly cultured, a suitcase. If Sir John Herschel really said this comet could be packed in a suitcase, Sir Robert is not quite sure that the hyperbolic remark originated with Herschel, he was talking nonsense. The proposition (laughs) suggested three factors. The comet, the suitcase, and the packer. The comet will soon be visible, and there are plenty of suitcases, but who will be undertaking who will undertake the packing? We do not believe that comet that comet could be packed into a suitcase. Experience teaches that mighty little can be packed into a suitcase by any man. It takes a woman to pack one properly. 
There are plenty of women, of course, but Sir John's light-hearted assertion, now gaily stepfathered by Sir Robert, will not attempt will not tempt them to do any unnecessary packing. A comet, once packed in a suitcase or even in a trunk of the largest size, would be mused beyond recognition and of no further use to anybody. Better leave the comet where it is. We shall all feel safer. That's just wacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. It's just wacky. It's not out of character for a newspaper that just endorsed two people for president. Yeah, right. As if that's a thing that's possible. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, you know, a lot of people were scared, rioting, panicky. Um, there were people selling sugar pills and claiming them to be anti-comet pills. Mm-hmm. People were also selling a crap ton of gas masks. Uh, those were flying off the shelves because people were terrified that this thing was actually going to end life as we know it. One of my favorite quotes of all time in film history comes from Men in Black. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky animals, and you know it. <laughs> yep. That's my favorite film quote of all time. It just sounds good when Tommy Lee <laughs> Jones says it. I'm like, yeah, you should be president. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, that's pretty much as far as the article really goes. It goes a little bit more into mass hysteria, Mm -hmm. dogs and cats living together. Yep. (laughs) And that's that's about it. Yeah. That's what we got. All right. So, uh, long story short, people get nervous about stuff they don't understand, especially science stuff they don't understand. So, uh, on the basis of that, Nick, what do you got? All right. So, uh, for this one, I had actually a lot of trouble because I was trying to figure out a way to kind of make this a... Uh, sort of a mockumentary, but not really with a story. Uh, in a way, it's similar to episode three, Nuked, um, where it's kind of just like a day in the life type thing. Episode three? Are I, you sure? I think it was episode three. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, but I, I wanted to make it a little bit more of kind of like an ensemble, not even in the in the terms of characters, just like scenes from different areas of the world where things like this are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so my director of choice is Taika Waititi. Taika! Um, because he can do wacky shit. The hottest shit in Hollywood right now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Taika Waititi, so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. He really is. He's just throwing shit at him. Yeah, who wouldn't? Like, it's a major news story. That he's like, <laughs> yeah, I might do Star Wars. <laughs> I know, Star Wars is fun. <laughs> Star Wars seems good. I think I could, could nail don't, a Star Wars. Don't run with scissors. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be standing there with me footies and uh, talking about so Star much. Wars. <laughs> Piss off, ghost. Piss off, ghost. Um, <laughs> so uh, he is my director of choice. I have three characters, uh, two of which are just created, and then one I actually cast uh, Camille Flammarion, the French astronomer, played by Jean Dujardin, because I love that man. I don't know why he doesn't get more Hollywood work. I know. Like, the artist, he, he exploded. At, he, did he win Best Actor for the Artist? He did. He won, yeah. He won Best uh, Actor. Right. He, he, he started singing La Marseillaise. Yep. Um, and then I remember him in Wolf of Wall Street. and I Which can't he think was of good him. in. Yeah, and I yeah. can't think of him in anything I else. I think he was in Monuments Men. I didn't see we Monuments never, Men. We never saw it. Yeah. We've talked about that, but I, I think he's in that. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's he's excellent. He's amazing. Um, <laughs> I have a, a reporter character who's going to be the one that's like, Completely against him, who who creates, you know, writes that short story in the New York Times, uh, played by Bill Skarsgård, mm-hmm. uh, Pennywise himself. <laughs> and then I have a con person, not a con man, I have a con person character played by Michelle Williams. Because okay. Because why not? I, whatever she says, I believe it. <laughs> uh, she's fantastic. Thank uh, you for looking directly at me. I have, I have the idea of her just kind of being like, 
How can I spin this? How can I spin this? All right, these Tic Tacs. Buy your Tic Tac. Uh, buy your anti comet beds. Uh, you know, just like Chulie's gum. Yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> going around doing things like that. Um, the titles I have, I have a couple. The first one I came up with was the Passerby. The, oh, okay. The second I came up with was the Tail End of Panic. And then I went with a long title because you know I love my long titles. You surely do. <laughs> Which is the fantastically wrong prediction of the world's end. Um, well, hot damn. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my three titles of choice. Uh, those are my characters. That's my director. And again, I don't really have much in terms of story. Uh, the only things I really wrote were that it's more of a collective rather than focusing on one person. Okay. Uh, it's sort of a mockumentary style, but not filmed as a mockumentary. Like, it's not a documentary film. So it's like a character study of how everyone sort of yeah. handles this. Definitely. Kind of in, in a similar way to the way that you were originally uh, pitching our Jackson Reinhardt film. Right. Yes, um, yes, yes. Similar in that aspect. Um, spread panic of the world. Uh, and then just delve into the... The con man aspect around the world as well, just different different people and how they're dealing with the scenario and, and the the people who actually do believe it's actually yeah. like the end of the world. We can get Michelle another Oscar out of this. Yeah, I hope she won for Manchester, right? She did not win for Manchester. How? I don't think she did. Casey won for Manchester. He did, yeah. Because him, Lucas Hedges, Jesus and Christ, Michelle she had were. one scene in that movie, and it's like one of the greatest pieces of acting of an entire decade. That whole film is absolutely fan fucking tastic, and you know it, it. It pains me that Casey has some. Yeah, he's a shithead. Some downsides. Casey's a shithead. <laughs> Casey's a, Casey's a shithead. <laughs> you know, he's from Boston. We all like beer. Don't climb into people's beds. <laughs> I don't like. Don't act like those are related, Casey. <laughs> Dick cheese. Um, uh, let's see real quick. No, she did not win. She was nominated, though. That was a fucking travesty. Yeah. It won screenplay and it won performance. Um, but, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I have, which, again, in terms is... For, for, you, know what was, you know what I was thinking? Um, I don't know why, but I was thinking in terms of... Uh, what's the Woody Allen mockumentary? Zelig? Yeah. I was the, thinking in terms of that. The one where he shows up. Yeah. In, um, as like a, yeah. There's another one. <laughs> yeah. Um... For some reason, I, I don't know, something along those lines. But again, not not filmed as a documentary. Uh, so that's that's pretty much what I have. Okay. Rob, what do you got? Uh, well, because a lot of the work of, the, of these different guys has been on my mind for the last uh, 24 hours. Uh, I went with uh, Terry Gilliam as my director. How old is he now? Uh, Terry's in his 70s. Okay. Um, and basically, I wanted to do something that was really heavy on world building, which he's great at. And of mm-hmm. course, if you've seen Brazil or, or anything like that's, that. That's my absolute favorite movie of his. Um, or uh, Time Bandits, which mm-hmm. I, I love to death. Um, he's, he's really good at, at, at building uh, worlds that work on a very different system and morality and, and school of thought than ours do. Uh, so my movie's called Tilt-A-Whirl. Ooh, I like it. Um, wow, I can see that being a Terry Gilliam title. Sure, you surely can. <laughs> uh, uh, narrating it, I want to have Martin Sheen. Okay. Uh, the cast is John Boyega, uh, Olivia Cook, and Hal Holbrook. Um, Olivia Cook, if you don't know, was uh, the the uh, female protagonist of um, Ready Player One. Oh yep yep yep. Uh, I like her; she's cool. We had Boyega cast in something. <clears throat> was he a nuked? Was John Boyega nuked? Uh, I stand corrected. Nuked was episode four, not episode three. Um, yes, John Boyega was the reporter in Nuked. Right. <laughs> what is he thinking that there's some kind of conspiracy? Uh, who accidentally saves 
saves the world, world but pretty kills, much. <laughs> but kills Jay Parashel. <laughs> God, we need to start I that one. I fucking really enjoyed that movie. <laughs> it's so hard to transcribe our I bullshit, know, though. I know. Um, so basically, my thought is this: we start, um, we start with with a view of the planet Earth, uh, and Martin Sheen is is narrating, and he says, uh, "Once every seventy six years, the Earth receives a visit." Normally, it's a pleasant kind of visit from an old friend that we don't get to see too often. Just a flyby and a quick hello. But in a different time, in a different place, it wasn't such a pleasant encounter. And we see Halley's Comet sort of flick right off the top of the planet and upend it and <laughs> get stuck in the North Pole. <laughs> this is... Now, of course, in space, being upside down is relative. <laughs> but of course, to time and gravity, things start to change. So here's a look at the way that the world might have unfolded a little bit differently. <laughs> and we skip ahead to what is essentially the present day in a world that has developed a lot differently, having been spun upside down and having its orbit changed uh, and thus gravity and the flow of time changed by Halley's Comet impacting the top of the planet just enough to spin it a little bit. That is friggin' brilliant. Yeah. So, And we explore a world where technology developed differently, maybe more like just along the lines of atomics never having been developed and world wars having unfolded differently. I always love, like, sort of oblique references to things having been different. Like, mm-hmm. uh, in The Flash, they have Jay Garrick, uh, the Flash from Another World, show up, and mm-hmm. he mentions briefly that the helmet that he wears is a helmet that his grandfather wore while fighting in, quote, the War of the Americas. Yeah. What does that mean? I want to know. <laughs> how, do, how are things different there? So I want to see this very different kind of world that uh, just, like, you know, different events just didn't happen or happened differently. And, you know, technology and power are, are different elements. And, you know, maybe the United States is more kind of like a balkanized collection of different things. Hmm. Or, you know, there weren't any Nazis. I like worlds where there weren't any Nazis. Those are the best kind uh, of worlds. Or worlds where there are not Nazis at present. Assholes. <laughs> um, there are good people on both sides. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, like, I, I like doing love stories, so I want to do John Boyega and Olivia Cook uh, uh, getting together over the course of this film. <laughs> and the reason I put Hal Holbrook in it, um, darling institution of acting that he is, is for a very, very long time, uh, Hal Holbrook did actually for longer than the Mark Twain persona existed, Hal Holbrook did a live show called Mark Twain Tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, for longer than Mark Twain actually used that name for like 50-something years. He does a perfect Mark Twain. I want him to be this kindly old man they know who runs a shop, like a bookstore. Okay. Um, and as it turns out, he actually is Mark Twain. Uh, because Mark Twain never died in this universe. And the reason is Mark Twain very famously was born just after Halley's Comet arrived. And he died just after it came again. And he said in the press, well, the comet's coming again, and I fully expect I'm going to go out with it. Uh, And essentially the power of his creativity is so great that because he said that and then it didn't go, (laughs) he just didn't die. So he's just And he's just been around. Yes. Mark Wayne has unfortunately (laughs) written himself into immortality. And that's kind of one of the cornerstones of this new world is things. uh, The power of imagination is much greater. I absolutely uh, love in it. In its effect on the world. That's excellent. Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> Tilt the world. I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> forgo my entire film so that we can focus on this one. Okay. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Thank you. I just love Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's 
Yeah. Now, so what now, is your I, I, again? I've started like elements of world building and what the cast is. I just don't know like what's the story we're following. It's big. I, I think s- similar to most Terry Gilliam films, you can focus on one character's journey, mm-hmm. um, but you know, put it within that world building aspect and and how these characters might interact with other people. Do you do you see Hal Holbrook's Mark Twain as a uh, recurring, like is is he in most of the film? Not in most of it. He's he's like he's in the beginning, and you know they they encounter him in a bookstore, and like he's probably a figure in their lives, just like that nice man who runs the bookstore. Yeah. Um, and it's just you know it comes up <laughs> by the end of the film. <laughs> so um, obviously, being that this is a Terry Gilliam film and, and pure fiction, you're not we we don't need to like explain science. We don't need to explain any of the no. science of how this works because it doesn't. I think um, science is perhaps a softer element in this world than it is in our own at yeah. this point. So do you you what were you saying? You were saying you see the movie, the the universe being influenced by imagination. Mm-hmm. How so? How so? Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not 100% sure what you mean the question. I, I guess like a thought and like, imagination and creativity. What being, is the reality influ- behind that? Being influencing factors upon the world in the same way that gravity and time are. Okay, so it's it's a physical it's a physical yes. entity. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Is that like that that's the the reality is that imagination actually affects things. Yes. Interesting. On a on a small scale, usually for most people, and maybe our driving element of this movie is someone looking to cut that out of existence or harness it for nefarious purposes, hmm. imagining bad things uh, wholesale into existence by getting a lot of people to think about one thing at once and believe in it. Okay. Which kind of ties back into what this mass hysteria in 1910 was. Yeah. This large amount of people believing this was going to happen. Hmm. You know, maybe harnessing that kind of power. Interesting. So, is the Earth spun out of orbit, or is it just like... Not out of orbit. I, I like to think that, you know, in just sort of being hit and, and spun around and upside down, it's not just a little bit out of step with reality, okay. essentially, is my thing. Like, it's just a little bit to the left of where it should be there's, in space and time and reality. Yeah, there's like something fantastical that now yeah. exists. Um, do you plan on showcasing anything of right after that happened? Like, or is it just like, that's the inciting incident and the film takes place in present day? Yeah, I want to throw you right into like, okay. this is this is a terribly different place, isn't it? Do Almost have... in the same way that like, you know, uh, uh, HBO's Watchmen, like it's a very different sort of world from what we anticipate in the way that the police operate and that technology is different. Cell phones aren't really a thing because yeah. like, you know, it just <laughs> yeah. never happened. Yeah. Do you see, uh, is Martin Sheen... Uh, narrating throughout the film or just the beginning? Throughout the film. Okay. I, I originally was going to do Stephen Fry, but that's too much like Hitchhikers. Yeah. Um, but like that same kind of vein of like commenting and being a bit glib and, and filling in blanks and like, oh, this. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So what's the – so we got we to gotta find the premise of the, the movie for the characters. Mm-hmm. So who is John Boyega? What is, what is he – like what's his career? Does he have a – uh, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking he works uh, at the New York Public Library. Okay. Um, or an equivalent in London. I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to have him and Olivia do their British accents. And at this and point. definitely something along the lines of like where a library has like this like yeah, imaginative it, it element has to, to be, it. It has to be looked after. Yeah. Uh, more uh, intently than a library of our own would. Yeah, you know, like maybe you it's don't like want policed. people getting a little too wrapped up in yeah. the book. 
because uh, in your normal everyday life, like it's just sort of like you know. Oh, you know what? What if that's currency in this world? What books? Oh, like, yeah, stories. The, yeah, like stories, liter- literature. Uh-huh. The, that's like currency in this world because mm-hmm. people can use it to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so like he works. So like the library is like Fort Knox. Like he works. <laughs> yeah, he I love works it. at like a, a Fort Knox type library. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what are some of the big libraries over in England? There's one in Cambridge University, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, of course. Um, uh, Trinity College Library, uh, which is a beautiful, beautiful library. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, maybe Mark Twain is just kind of like this weird guy just because, like, he'll just tell you stories. Yeah. <laughs> like, other people don't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, because, like, like, yeah, that's their yeah. currency. So they're like, he's this just is how always willing to do it. Stories are how I influence the world around me and and create and generate the the power that the world needs to keep turning. Like, yeah. why are you just and, telling people stories? And the richer the person, the more imaginative and creative they yeah, are. Yeah, like Stephen King has a trillion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you're idea. you're able to kind of move and shake the world in a very particular way. Yeah. Because they're, um, they're As long as people are listening. Yeah. Or reading. Uh, either one. So like, like maybe you know uh, you know books and radio are a lot more prevalent in a way than like TV is yeah. because you know TV or radio film. being theater of the mind a lot more you know you you can just kind of drift away into listening to something maybe, same thing with books was where with a, a TV show it's just sort of there yeah maybe TV doesn't even exist and maybe film yeah, actually prob- died limited out. forms yeah yeah. Maybe film actually died out. But it's just entertainment or news kind of thing. Yeah. It's just like, you know, a lot of, you know, they didn't put a whole lot into expanding movies out of the silent era. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, and it's fun. It's, it's like comedy and like, you know, but you don't got to take it with you. Yeah. Yeah. People are always carrying around like a, like a satchel of books with them <laughs> as, as like payment for things they need. I love it. <laughs> and it's like, and it's literally like, you know, there's, there's obviously books that have been written that aren't in our reality, but like. I don't know. You're you're going to buy something like of real importance, like whatever water or something in this world, and uh, mm-hmm. you're you're offering up like you know the Wizard of Oz, or hmm. Canterbury Tales or something it's, like it's, yeah. It's I got a copy. Con- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> interesting concept. I, I'm, I'm not sure how I would make that that economy work. I mean, you know, we <laughs> don't it's, we it's don't Gilliam. really need to. Yeah, it can it's just be, It can be tickled. It mm-hmm. doesn't need to be something that's flushed out. Um, so you have him working uh, at the uh, at the library, which is mm-hmm. kind of guarded like a Fort Knox. Yeah. What so maybe it? it should be the New York Public Library because it's a big stone building. Yeah, he can still be With English. lions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is Olivia Cook's? How does she come into play? Did you, did you have any? There's, there's got to be a character in a Terry Gilliam film who's sort of like the social renegade. Like yeah. In Brazil, it's renegade air conditioning engineer Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of upsetting the status quo of things and yeah. I don't know maybe she's Mark Twain's granddaughter or I don't know however many generations whatever yeah, yeah type yeah. of thing well again I mean hell he she could be his daughter like the the time doesn't really matter since he's still alive and like the times yeah I, th- I think he I want him to be a unique aspect oh, okay, in that, okay, just okay, because okay. he was very you know he was very glib about it it's like yep came in with the comet going out with it yeah <laughs> But like so comments like at the, the North Pole. Yeah. <laughs> so he so do so they visit? Mark is still here. They, oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. They go to it. Mm-hmm. What's their? Uh, yeah, we got to find a we got to find a purpose. This is a tough one because this is a great universe, a great world yeah. building. I, I think ex- uh, like because it's a concern that Terry has a lot of his films. Somebody trying to manipulate mass media and use and try and almost as a focusing lens use the power of everyone's imagination to reshape the world. What in their own image and under their own control. What if it's someone writing a book? 
like a book about something that's changing the world. Like he, Mark Twain knows of someone who's working on a mm-hmm. story that is exponentially going to make the world more dangerous. It could be like someone. Uh, it's a, it's it's kind of been done in a sense in a very rad uh, Ray Bradbury fashion, but maybe someone uh, creating elements of television and entertainment that uh, people just people just kind of turn their brains off, okay. um, and is is sort of like dumbing people down. Okay. Like someone who is not a particularly imaginative or creative person in and of themselves, creating the sort of dribble reality television esque entertainment yeah, yeah, yeah. that hinders creativity and imagination and engagement with with art, um, because they want the world to be sort of more gray, yeah, and set in stone. Huh. Okay. Because yeah, I'm th- I'm trying to think of a way that you can kind of like, and like maybe over time, it, it things have been getting more powerful. That in this universe, me, and out of control yeah. with the use of imagination, and maybe they kind of have to find a way to let the comet go. That to me sort of rings true, like an exact opposite version of like War of the Worlds. You know, where like mm-hmm. War of the Worlds was creating mass hysteria by people thinking it was real. This, this whatever character or, or so is creating like a, a dumbed down. <laughs> Like uh, I'm, I'm kind of envisioning a, an, an ending in my head that we get to where I don't know maybe some physicist back in 1910 had been so wrapped up in this hysteria that uh, he was trying to find a way to like push the comet away but accidentally pulled it in and that's why it's just sort of stuck sitting on top of the North Pole like embedded there. yeah and they f- find a way to sort of let it go and go on about its way through the universe again knowing that you know that's kind of kind of set the world back in step with space and time the way mm. it should be. Uh, well, should be, being relative. But, like, you know, then, you know, they go back to New York and these kids are trying to do the thing and, like, imagine a little puppet play happening and it's yeah. not working huh. in the way that it was where you could just sort of, like, envision this and have it happen in front of you. So, so But then John Boyega starts telling this fantastic story to them and, and that's okay. So things And they are, get engrossed by it. So things are, quote-unquote, back to normal. Yeah. Interesting. Um, because somebody is, is, is turning that imaginative power uh, towards a nefarious end, and it's also growing out of control. Yeah. As opposed to as opposed to in their reality where imagination is like a talent and actually yeah. used in like, you know, whatever their currency or whatever, it's bringing it back to our reality where it's like, no, it's okay to just like enjoy these things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. You can just, you know, you can tell someone a story and you don't have to have it start happening in front of you. I, I mean, think that's also... John Boyega does that with Olivia Cook for the kids at the end. Yeah, I think that's also a really great message, too. Because um, a lot of our films so far haven't really had messages. Yeah, because, you know, you don't have to come up with something fun and imaginative and, and creative in your head and put it down on paper or, yeah. or, or write it, you know. You don't have to write a script or go out and film something. Sometimes it's just sort of fun to sit and think yeah. or just listen to someone tell a story mm-hmm. without going like, oh, you should totally record that. Like, yeah, you know, like sometimes oratory. creating for creating's sake is, is its own reward. Yeah, so, you know, that's also interesting because that would bring back the idea that, like, uh, oratory storytelling mm-hmm. from, you know, back in the, whatever, 2000 BC, mm-hmm. back in, like, you know, when it was just people sitting around a fire, like, that comes yeah. back, that becomes a huge part of civilization again because yeah. that is 
That is like people going to yeah. see a Broadway show or see a movie. Yeah, like I see the arts uh, in terms of performing being like a really underdeveloped element of this yeah. universe. Like, why would I go see a play when I can, when someone just stand here and tell me a story and it yeah. starts to happen and in it, front yeah, of me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Like, how do you, from a visual standpoint and from a Terry Gilliam standpoint, how do you actually see those visions coming to fruition? Oh, changes in lighting and, and the saturation of the world as people are talking and seeing sort of things begin to dance and sparkle in front of them or the weather sort of changing over their heads. So you're seeing it kind of in like... I can't pin down Terry right, visually. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but like, you're not thinking in terms of like, I'm telling you a story and like a bubble shows in front of me that shows it happening, right? It's probably a little too on the nose. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. if I'm telling you a story that Odysseus sailing a ship through the storm and like maybe like you start to notice it becomes overcast yeah, and you can sort of hear rumbling and you know, the, the camera starts to rock a little bit like a ship on the waves kind I of thing. S- I see it sort of in terms of like a painting, like maybe um, what yeah. dreams may come, mm-hmm. you know? Layers are starting to build on top of each other. Yes, like what yeah. dreams may come when Robin's in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, great idea and yeah and you kind of just like see those things kind of like swooshing and swirling around but in a in a smaller like it's literally just confined to the people listening to the story mm-hmm. like it's not maybe the people who are passing by see elements of it but if yeah. they're not actually listening to the story they don't yeah, see the whole yeah you, you have to engage with it yeah in that fashion I like that so I do. Cool. I do kind of imagine a little coda of, of of Mark Twain looking up and seeing the comet sort of arcing into the sky. Yeah. And his face like, oh, well, I didn't pack a bag. <laughs> and just you know, quietly passing away, smiling. Yeah. Yeah. Just like in his bed, something mm-hmm. like that. Oh. Yeah. Um. That that. I'm getting like a little Passports bit of a, out of date. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little bit of like a um, like a Kubo and the Two Strings vibe when he's telling his stories or. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, do. I love that. As, as we'll bring <laughs> as, Laika into yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, Kubo is fantastic. It's the power of music and, yeah. and uh, collective belief and faith and love. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, that's exactly what I, I kind of envision. Uh, it's, it's making, you know, something that we feel as artists uh, an actual um, truth of physics. Yeah. Was that the only title you came up with? Yeah. Good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, as you can tell, I was trying to think of things that make me happy yesterday after after Terry yeah. uh, passed away, and that's just a lot of stuff that was coming to me. This is, I can easily see this being a film that Gilliam would jump on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we, I wonder if he has a Twitter. <laughs> we need to, we need to position Terry, listen to our podcast. <laughs> if you do, we'll go watch Don Quixote. <laughs> Which I will at some point. If they let us. <laughs> yeah. Um, damn. I don't... I, I think before we end, we should probably just flesh out a little bit more of the journey of our two main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, do they end up going to the North Pole to do something with the comet? Does the comet actually get put back into space? Like, Is mm-hmm. there a way... I think so. I can see it with like a giant, like in, in Terry Gilliam's art style, just like a giant, like um, revolving hammer that kind of like kicks it back up into the sky, <laughs> like a giant boot or something, you know? Yeah, like the, the the villain has got this kind of like almost just a giant magnifying glass, yeah. Like point of the thing where he's siphoning this sort of vibe that's happening back and forth between people uh, and to the comet and and 
for a nefarious purpose of reshaping the world. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's you know, in the same way that people are, are destroying our planet for fuel and power. Yeah. Um, he's doing the same thing, but he doesn't care because it's working. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I, I know Terry. <laughs> Personally... <laughs> no, he's, he's, a, he's an ocean away. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, the one thing I'm excited about for Terry Jones' funeral is hopefully Michael Palin gives a eulogy similar to Cleese. He's his best friend. At Chapman's, uh, at Chapman's funeral. Because that's one of the best videos ever. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to think, like, you know, uh, Graham Chapman died before we were born. Yeah, he was only like 49, I think. Yeah, and um, so, like, we've never lost a python. There's yeah. Always just, we've always been down one. Yeah. But like we've never had to experience like Monty a part Python of that team live. leaving us, yeah. yeah, which is still one of the greatest titles ever made. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, we've never experienced that. It's, and uh, I mean, thinking about it, painful. like we were we were young. Let's to put it into perspective with like the Beatles, we were young when George died. That was like two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah. So we were like twelve, Great thirteen school. years old. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's a that's an interesting way to think about it. Man, he's at Gilliam had a prolific career. Oh yeah, like after Python. It's weird that like essentially every movie he makes, every movie he makes, there's some kind of studio problem. Yeah, with always. like how they want to fund it or how they think he should do it. But like he still keep, like they still keep doing movies with him. Yeah, but and they like, do the same let problem him, keeps happening. They let him take the reins too. Like yeah. he's one of the few, I would say he's one of the few directors. That have really not let studios hinder his artistic yeah. style. He's being like, a he's being a farty old man lately. Yeah, you know, way, but I'm as, trying to, as trying to get him back on track with this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, think of it like let's let's put it in terms of it, probably get a lot of shit for saying this, but like let's put it in terms of him and like Tim Burton, right? Mm-hmm. Tim Burton's always had that very visualistic style as well, but yeah. once he got in with the studios and started just using green screen and CGI, the movies went downhill. Um, it's not wrong. But yeah. that's something that I feel like Gilliam has never – he's never sacrificed uh, – he, he's never sacrificed quality. I see. I mean, there's, there's very few uncompromised yeah, yeah, film yeah. directors. Probably I can count on one hand. Maybe Terry, Werner Herzog, uh, who I think it's Roger Ebert said even when he fails, it's spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, a couple ones that don't end up making that much, like Andrew Dominic. Like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unfortunately not a widely known name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 interesting. I uh, I think we can get him to direct this. We just got to give him a call. Terry, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> um, I think that's great. Uh, this is an awesome episode. I enjoyed this story, and I, I thank you for bringing. Well, it to our, thank uh, you for for appreciating it. I wasn't super confident in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should be. Um, guys, this was episode thirteen. There's a plane overhead, so sorry for that sound. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Sorry it took us so long to get back. Two more episodes this season. Episode 14, we will be having a special guest star. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to announce that yet? Yeah, or? sure. We can say it. Go for it. Sure. It's going to be our good friend, Matt Delhauer, uh, of the Ginger Geek podcast. And uh, he's just joined the, the, it's called Now You've Seen It, uh, in which, of course, uh, Matt is there to talk about Blade Runner. He is essentially the foremost scholar <laughs> <laughs> of the world of Blade Runner, uh, who has not actually worked on the films. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so we're going to have him on for a very special episode. He's going to plop something on the table at us, and we're all going to come together and do a three-man uh, version of the podcast. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to come at that episode from no knowledge of what story he's bringing to us, and uh, we will have to fully pitch 
from the start of the podcast without knowing anything prior. Yeah, we've never done that before, and it's kind of daunting. Yeah. But it's, it's going to be fun. Um, he can corral us. Yeah. <laughs> episode 15 will be our season finale. Uh, I don't actually want to bring up what that episode is going to be yet, because that's going to be a little bit of a It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Rob and I are, that's probably going to be a long one. Rob and I are going to have uh, a lot of stuff to dis- uh, <laughs> dissect and discuss. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so we're going to have a good time with that one. Uh, please join us next time, guys. Uh, hopefully we are going to be back to our regular schedule um, every other Thursday. Starting today. So for the next month. Yeah. Uh, two more episodes. Then we'll take probably like only like a month or so hiatus. Yeah, just Maybe to try and get longer. a bunch in the bank because we yeah. had like four or five episodes in the bank when we started this. Yeah. Yeah, because we filmed a good three before we even launched. Yeah. And then it became like a screw. We've been doing a lot of it on Wednesday nights. It's, it's harder to find articles that we think we can make last for a good 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Than we thought it would be. Um, <laughs> uh, please follow us on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. Um, if they have podcasts, we're probably there. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? Uh, WDYG Podcast at Facebook, WDYG Podcast at Twitter, WDYG Podcast at gmail.com. Email us, uh, share us, review us, please. That helps a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you have any ideas for upcoming stories, maybe for next season, we'd love to see them. Uh, it, it, like I said, it is tough for us to find articles. So yeah. if you have one that you think would be a great fit for us, bring it to our attention. Um, yeah. And we will see you next time. And if you don't, there's going to be a whole podcast where I just cry about Derek Jeter. <laughs> nobody wants that. <laughs> he looked at me. <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. Right. I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss. 